Welcome to episode 56 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I want to start off this episode with a huge thank you to everyone who downloaded my book and especially those that took the time to leave an honest review on Amazon. Over 100 reviews were left worldwide. There were over 2,500 downloads during the launch and a steady stream ever since. If you haven't downloaded Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking and Conferences, what are you waiting for? Oh, you'd prefer to have it as a paperback. I hear you. The paperback version will be available in a few weeks as soon as the audiobook is ready. Did I mention that the audiobook is free with the purchase of the paperback? Yep. Two books for the price of one. Learn more about my book at robbysamuels.com slash bookstore. While you're there, you can download the Kindle bonus bundle. That's transcripts from the first 25 On The Schmooze solo shows where I shared a networking tip or technique, plus 25 leadership quotes from the guests I interviewed during my first year. The book is just $1.99 this week, so you can get the Kindle now and the paperback later if you'd like. I can't wait to hear what resonates with you. On the Schmooze is proud to be a headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. If you like business podcasts, you should also check out C-Suite TV at c-suitetv.com. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest has been called an energizer powerhouse by event planners and meeting organizers worldwide. Her high-energy keynote speeches are filled with rich content that empowers her audience to take action. It's safe to say that she is not a run-of-the-mill speaker. She has leveraged her sassy style and Aussie accent to become a ray of sunshine in an otherwise gray corporate world. Doing so, she's earned the respect of a wide range of clients, including Comcast, Johnson & Johnson, the FBI, and Virgin. She brings to them her vast experience in retail, banking, telecommunications, and the oil industry. As a thought leader in the area of productivity, she is obsessed with helping clever people get more done so they can create more significant moments in their lives. As she says, you don't have time to do everything, only time to do what matters. She often appears in the media sharing her expertise and is a published author and contributor to eight books. In 2017, she will publish Attention Pays, which shares one of her core messages that the art and practice of paying attention holds the key to greater success, higher sales, phenomenal customer service, and unlimited referrals. Please join me in welcoming Neen James. G'day, Robbie. What a delight and honor it is to serve your fabulous listeners. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, Neen, thank you so much for speaking with me from your office in Philadelphia. So I want to just jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about your day-to-day, but since this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks, tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Leadership to me is paying attention to what matters. It's really easy, Robbie, to get distracted by everything and everyone around you. But true leaders know how to distinguish between what is happening and what really matters. You've heard me say before that busy is not productive. And so many leaders are busy, Robbie. But what we want to think about as an aspiring leader or even an established leader is what matters. So that's the key to leadership is knowing what really matters. When did I realize I had the skills to lead? Yeah, probably in school. In Australia, I was the kid who would always volunteer. So I would volunteer for if the teacher needed something, I was the teacher's pet. If there was an errand to do, I would do it. If there was a chance to present something, perform in the school play, be on a committee, do some fundraising, I was the little girl who would compete to sell the most chocolate bars as a fundraiser. I was always the girl who wanted to be upfront 
front. And I think that is probably where some of this attention work comes from. I've loved attention my whole life. I know how to get it, but I especially know how to give it. And as a leader, that was one of the reasons I think I was so successful in my corporate career. And now in my speaking practice, because I know how to give attention to my audiences, to my clients, to my network. So I think I learned pretty early, but I think it doesn't matter where you learned how to be a leader or how young you were. I think anyone can make a choice to be a leader. And there's so many different kinds of leaders. Sure. Was there somebody in your life that actually encouraged this so that you you were getting positive reinforcement for always stepping up and always offering to be upfront to, to volunteer? Were you getting some adult sort of recognition that this was a good thing? This was a positive thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. You know, our parents are such massive influences in our life, whether you're still fortunate to have them on the planet with you or not. And when I was young, I was raised by a single mother. And so there was just me, my mom and my sister. And my mom was, uh, at the time, that was really unusual where I lived to not have a father. And so she took on the role of multiple people. And she would say, you know, if you want this, you can do this and I will help you do that. And I'm the oldest of now five children. So my mom got remarried and we have one of those Brady Bunch families of being blended. But I think it wasn't just my mom. I was so fortunate because I loved school. I was the kid who really enjoyed school and school for me was a creative outlet. So if a teacher was sharing something that was intriguing to me, I would ask the teacher at lunch after school, you know, could I get more help? And so I had very influential teachers, but I also was privileged that I grew up in a really small town. And in that small town, we knew our neighbors. And I remember we had these neighbors who lived behind us and they often would allow me to join them on adventures and work in their business. And I was so young. But one of the most influential people, I think, that really believed in me, I have an aunt and her name's Annie Carroll, that's what we call her. And she was like a second set of parents, her and my uncle Trevor. And Annie Carroll is still on this planet today and still one of the biggest influences in my young years. She was this sassy, do anything, try anything, you know, comes from a small town, but had big, big dreams and and adventures of going to Greece and learning the language. And I got exposed to this as a kid. And when you're in a small town like that, that all seems like crazy town. But she showed me that you can really do anything you want. And she always believed in me. So I think the combination of people, it wasn't one person, Robbie, it was a combination of mentors. Well, it sounds like you really soaked up that energy from your aunt and you now share it with the world. You you certainly bring a, a vivaciousness to everything you do. In fact, that was one of the things that caught my attention. We met at Influence, uh, which is the National Speakers Association Conference two years ago. I saw you and last year we had a chance to actually meet and your energy really stood out. I mean, this is a room full of people that are all very welcoming and very uh, interested in engaging and connecting. And even within that space, you clearly were making uh, even more of, a, of an effort to bring people in. So how long have you been a part of that community? It seems like you've got a real leadership space there. I've been really blessed. I, When I was in corporate business in Australia, I got involved in the National Speakers Association over there, so before I even moved to the U.S. And then as soon as I moved to the U.S., the first thing I did was, you know, get involved in NSA for short, the National Speakers Association. What's interesting about NSA is, as you say, Robbie, there's all these people who are welcoming with these big personalities. It's hard to get a word in edgewise. But what I realized was the best way to get involved was to volunteer once again. So I volunteered at my local chapter and then I volunteered at the uh, local events and then the national events. And later, now I serve on the national board of the National Speakers Association, but I also serve on the foundation board. And so I'm the person who naturally wants to step up and serve. And I'm sure there's people on this podcast who serve in their community, who serve in their church, their temple, their uh, company. And it doesn't have to be a title, Robbie. It's about things. I would help move chairs. I would help greet people at an event. I would give out name tags at registration. And so I always knew there was never a job that was ever below me. And so I think 
having the experience of learning all the different roles to serve as a board member of NSA, I've pretty much done all the different kinds of jobs that you can do. And so I've run the uh, conferences, I've run small labs, I've spoken on the main stage, I've spoken as a breakout speaker, I've been on their voices of experience, I've contributed to Speaker Magazine. And so just like so many of your listeners, there's ways to get involved as a leader in your industry. You can help uh, blog, you can write articles for your publications, you can often volunteer at conferences. I mean, Robbie, you're brilliant at this. You're always looking for more ways to engage people at conferences. You're always looking for ways to build more relationship. I think as leaders, we just need to get creative about how to do that. And now people always ask me, how do you stand out in a big conference space like that? And I say, you know, volunteer, speak on a mm-hmm. panel, yes. present, you yes. know. Be a be a good host. <laughs> yes, and that's all these it. It's things. about being the host. I think mm-hmm. I've always believed in acting like the hostess. It doesn't matter if it's my event or not. But I will always make sure I introduce everybody who's around me. And I never assume people know each other. So, I, And often I do this at my corporate clients too. I go in as the external person, as the consultant, as the keynote speaker. And I'll say, Robbie, do you know my friend Brent? Brent, do you know Robbie? And they might work together, but I don't know that. So I may only look foolish for a split second. But I think it makes people feel comfortable if you take on the role as the host or the hostess always looking to connect people, never assuming they know each other. And then you also help them feel more comfortable. I love people. I also attract really cool people. And so I've always got these amazing people around me. And I think that most of us just want to be seen and we want to be heard. And that's why my work in attention is so important to me. So tell me what's been so rewarding about the work you're doing today. I mean, as a speaker, you've covered quite a few different topics you know, you've spoken on so many kinds of stages, work with so many kinds of clients. What's what's really stood out for you? What's been really rewarding? You know, I think what's interesting about this journey I've taken in the speaking world, and like many of your listeners, they're on their own career paths. Some of them might be starting out and some of them might be looking for a third and fourth career. But for me, I was always fascinated with how to get things done. So in my corporate life, I had a reputation as being able to fix projects, fix teams, fix things that were broken, you know, sometimes fix people. And so I was known for that in corporate. And so when I decided to move into the world of speaking, it was my mentor who said, you should speak speak about productivity. And I was like, well, that's not very sexy. Who's going to pay for that? And while it's not a sexy topic, the results for people and the benefits to people are huge. So I started working in the area of productivity. And to me, it's intuitive. I just know how to get things done. I know how to get projects done. I know how to close sales. I know how to get the best out of people. So I just assumed everyone knew how to do it. And I think that's probably true for people on this podcast too. They have these intuitive skills and they just go, well, no one's going to care about that because they're good at it. And then I realized, oh my God, people will pay me to talk about this and teach their team how to do it. So the CEOs, the marketing directors, the sales directors would bring me into their teams and ask me how to help them do it. And then I wrote a book called Folding Time. How do you achieve twice as much in half the amount of time? Well, that book obviously did really well and it's practical and easy to read. And it's designed for people who don't have time to read, Robbie. Like literally it's got an accelerate page in the beginning. So even if you don't want to read the book, just read the page, you're done. So I think my work in attention, Robbie, is what I would call, it's a big call, but I feel like this is my life's work. Meaning I think attention is the evolution of productivity. I think we used to talk about time management a long time ago, and that was fine before we had email and internet and social media. And then we started talking about productivity, and I still believe it's important. But I think attention's where it's at. You can't manage your time, but you can manage your attention. You can decide who gets your attention, what gets your attention. But I do believe that as leaders, we have to give attention to get attention. And there's people who just want to be seen and heard. And there's clients and customers, members, patients. They just want to be seen and heard. You know, I interviewed John Corcoran, who is an amazing networker, and he had a chance to work with Bill Clinton in his Mm -hmm. White House. And so one of the people he sort of was able to witness up front all the time meeting and engaging people is Bill Clinton, who is just well known for Mm -hmm. having that intense moment with people and remembering things about people and being so sincere in that moment. And when you're like the most powerful person in the world and you can stop and have that moment of eye contact, a real connection, Mm -hmm. 
people really feel it. And um, he says, that's something I've tried to bring to all of my work. And it's such a good reminder. Yeah. Such a great reminder that, you know, we all can do that for the people in our lives. And that, you know, in a, in a world where we all think we're connected, <laughs> we're mm-hmm. actually not as connected. We're, you know, we think we're staying in touch with our friends and neighbors because we're on Facebook. But picking up the phone and just doing it, you know, hey, what's going on? Uh, the, you know, that that's actually a tip from... Um, Susan Rowan, who is also an she, NSA member. Right. Yeah, yeah, she calls she's them. been on your show. Yeah. yeah. It's like, she calls it, hey, it's like, how are you? It's <laughs> make hey while the, while the day's fine or something. <laughs> it's like, how are you calls. Her right. hey, her and hey calls. Yeah. If you look at a case study like President Clinton, mm-hmm. he has the brilliant skill of finishing a point on a person, meaning he holds your eye contact while he makes the point and he never moves on and he holds it for just that awkward extra moment and to him it doesn't feel like any time at all but to that person they feel like they're the center of his whole universe so he's a brilliant case study in that one of the stories I share in my keynote and I share it's one of my most repeated retweeted lines by my audience and that is this concept that we need to listen with our eyes and I learned this lesson from my five-year-old friend and one night he one morning he was really quite frustrated with me because we were having multiple conversations and he grabbed my tiny little little face and he pulled it towards him and in his tiny little hands and he said mean listen with your eyes you know the power of a five-year-old powerful right the wisdom but that's what I think we need to do as leaders it means when we're on the phone we have to close our email and get rid of all the distractions it means when someone is in our office for a one-on-one we need to put things away and just focus on that person it means when we share a meal with someone can we make it device free if we're in the car traveling with someone can we have a conversation instead of being on our cell phones I love my cell phone I love the freedom it gives me I love the access that I have in my life. But I also believe that the interesting thing about time, Robbie, is once it's spent, you never get it back. And so there's those moments. And I believe in creating significant moments that matter. And it's about making the most of those moments. And as leaders, we've got to stop like you referenced President Clinton does. And we have to make the most of that person, that project, that opportunity, because you're never going to get that again. And you never know, right? You've had a chance to work with so many different kinds of people. Is there anyone that's really taken to this and transformed or how do they approach life that maybe had, I think people convinced themselves that multitasking worked. And I think when these, <laughs> when technology first came out, it, it, you know, if you had a technology and someone else didn't, then maybe you had a little bit of a leverage on them. But as everyone became connected, mm. <laughs> that was no longer the advantage, right? Like, yeah. so we're all now getting a zillion uh, messages a day from all these different sources. And some people are still really holding on to that as an idea, the idea of multitasking. Yeah, it's a shame. Is, it, is, there, is there anyone who's really comes to mind that had that mindset and then learned something from you and now is like, wow, I can free myself by doing things differently? Yeah, one of my favorite clients, I work, I do a lot of work in the media industry and Comcast, many people listening would know that brand. They have a a division, their advertising sales division is called Spotlight. So Comcast Spotlight are responsible for the advertising that you see on television and uh, digital media outlets. And so what was fascinating is I work with their most senior leadership all the way through to their sales and support team. And some of the salespeople have noticed a significant increase in their sales results because they put things away, they prepared in advance, and they were able to not only listen to what their client was telling them and asking for, but they could read between the lines of what they weren't hearing. And so teaching them the skills to be able to increase the average sale was very, very profitable. And many of the leaders have achieved significant growth in an acceleration of their team development because they've been so focused on their onboarding program and giving them the dedicated time in their one-on-ones. So I've had the opportunity to consult at multi-levels in that organization, still one of my favorites, because they constantly are looking for ways to show attention to not only their internal clients, but their external clients as well. Wow, that's such a good case study of how people can, on an individual level, affect the bottom line. Like they, mm-hmm. It's helping them. Yeah. They're also probably less stressed. I think that we carry a lot of noise in our head. Sure. You know? <laughs> it's crazy town up there in my head. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> well, speaking of all of that, is, is there a challenge that you face in the work that you do? Like, well, in particular, you transitioned from working in corporate to becoming 
a, a, an owner of your own business, of, of building your own brand. So there's, there's the shift from having a lot of stability and structure to creating some stability and structure. <laughs> Is that what you call it? <laughs> yeah, so what's challenging about, about the work that you're doing? I think it's the balance of the art and science of paying attention, meaning that as a corporate girl, you know, I had the privilege of being involved with some of the coolest brands in the world and some of the most amazing projects with significant budgets and great resources. And somebody put money in my account every single month. And that was awesome. And I had a secretary, we used to call them secretaries back then, and a car space and an expense account and all the trappings that come with the beautiful leadership, including a corner office on Sydney Harbour. I mean, it just didn't get any better than that. Then I decided to set up shop on my own. Well, going from a corporate person to an entrepreneur, well, you don't even know how you're going to pay, you know, anything, let alone yourself, you know. And so when I relocated countries from Australia, I moved from Sydney City to Doylestown, Pennsylvania. I mean, seriously, like, I mean, I love it, but you could not get more of a culture shock. And the first person that I uh brought on board was a virtual assistant who I'm proud to say is still with me today. But my Maria, who is the queen of Neen, she runs my entire life. I was paying Maria before I was ever paying myself. And so what I've learned is there's a balance between the performance of what I do, the craft of being on stage as a keynote speaker, or as an executive mentor working one-on-one with a leader. And then the hustle of the business, you have to generate business to be able to have the privilege to perform. I often say to speakers, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are on the platform. If you can't sell, if you can't actually hustle in this game, you won't survive. And that is a real, that's a very different skill set, Robbie. And so people who are listening to this podcast, they might be exceptional at the skill they bring to their company or the business they own, but they still have to understand the business of running everything, whether it's understanding the P&L for your company or your division or your region, or whether it's reading your own P&L. And I don't particularly enjoy numbers, I'll be really honest with you. I do love being on stage. And so for me, the performance piece, uh, that's actually the easiest part of what I do. And so for me, I guess the challenge is that daily uh, business development as well as keeping my craft current and relevant because I customize for every audience. And so for me, there's a significant amount of time that goes into researching the client, the challenges, the acronyms, the environment, the culture. I mean, there's there's so much work that goes in. And then hopefully when you get on stage, it looks super easy to everyone, like anyone could do it. And that's part of my goal too. But it takes a lot of hard work to make it look so easy. Wow, I, I know that if you're upstage uh, making it look easy, then everyone thinks, "Oh, why do we have to bring someone in?" But then mm-hmm. it's so important. I, my mother, <laughs> my mother once told me, "Bring luggage, and you'll get paid more." <laughs> it's funny. I was I, there was a, a client that I do a little bit of consulting for, and uh, and so they had asked me about being potentially on a retainer with them, and so. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I said, well, here's my fee. And I prepared some executives for a big meeting that they had. And then the exec, the head of the uh, human resources department called me that night. And he said, I'm not sure why we need you because these guys were exceptional. They just totally rocked the presentation. Everyone loved the project initiative. And I was like, that's why. Because I prepared them. And he was like, oh. And he (laughs) said, all right, so we need to pay this invoice. I was like, yeah, you do. But I think that's part of the magic too is as leaders, part of our job is to make others look brilliant and not take the credit for that. And so I've had the privilege of being, you know, that little surprise or that, you know, one of my clients calls me their little ninja, their little secret weapon. Because I think that if you're really good at what you do, you have a responsibility to teach others how to do it too. And then let them get the glory, let them get the praise, let them shine and get the attention because you help them really rock whatever it is that they're doing. And a really good leader can step back and go, you know what, I helped make that happen, but they don't need the limelight. Right, they don't. So there's a common struggle for anyone who's striving for success or um, trying to really succeed in this world. And there's that fear of being wrong or making mistakes or even failure. With that in mind, what's something you're not good at and what do you do to deal with that? How much time do we have? (laughs) I mean, the list is huge. So let me just share with you some things that I know I'm not good at, but how I've maybe 
cope with that. Is that okay? Sure. I uh, do not enjoy numbers. So even in my corporate life, I always made sure I employed people that were smarter than me that could help give me advice when it came to that. Uh, one of the, I, I told you my Maria who organizes my whole life. The second person that I hired was an accountant. So I have a virtual controller who manages all of that side of life for me as well. So what I've learned is I'm really great at strategic things. I'm brilliant at creativity. My idea of productivity is off the charts. But when it comes to execution of my brilliant ideas, I'm not the best person for that. So I have surrounded myself with a team of people who are exceptional. I have a brilliant designer, a web person, a writer, an editor, a person who does my logistics and travel and the operations. I have a brilliant social media person who helps me. So I create the content and then she shares it. So what I've been able to do as I've grown my practice is outsource. Now, when I first moved to this country, Robbie, I had no money to build a team and certainly no money to buy shoes. So I had to make Make sure that I could barter my expertise for someone else's. So I remember thinking, I hate cleaning. I'm not a very domestic person. And so I remember approaching the local cleaning company and said, how about we barter? If you come clean my house, I'll come train your team. And so I trained them in customer service and productivity. And as a result, they came and cleaned my house. So I think what you can do, regardless of where you're at in your career, know what you're not great at, but work out a strategy to fix it. I don't focus on the things I'm not great at. I just simply get other people to do them. Now, my best friend in my life, she is also a little bit of a Yoda, I guess. And she um, very quickly sees when I'm doing things that are not serving me and she'll challenge me on that. So I think it's also about having people in your life who know you so well, who can say, hey, are you the best person for that? Or is there an alternative way to do that? Or have you considered a different way? Um, My best friend will sometimes just come out and say, you shouldn't be doing that. And but she's earned the right. So if you're not good at things, find ways around it. And in the early days, Robbie, I had to do everything. I had to learn QuickBooks. I had to clean my own house. I had to do all those things that I don't enjoy. Some people listening might like cleaning their house, but I don't. And I know it's not a good use of my time. And so it's about finding products and services that will make you better at the things you're really good at to allow your headspace to shine. Well, what I also love about this is that if you put your attention towards the things that you do love, you'll be more productive doing them. And somebody else in the world does love to clean. I actually, I have a a friend years ago, I actually tricked him into cleaning my house for his surprise birthday party. (laughs) He thought that he was helping me set up for my roommate's birthday party. He even hung the birthday sign. And then one by one, his friends started to show up. And the thing yeah. is, he loved to clean the same way I love to cook. So yeah. it was what a great combination you guys are. Oh, it was wonderful. You know, like I was in the kitchen, like whipping stuff up and he was, you know, vacuuming and dusting and just singing songs and playing the radio and having a grand old time. And to me, that would have been a chore. So I think, yes, find people, give them the chance to shine in the areas that they really love and you'll all be happier. <laughs> no one has to drag themselves through. I also think, too, it's about sharing wealth, whatever that looks like. So there are people who are at different places in their learning journey, in their financial journey, uh, in their educational journey. So you have the opportunity to say, hey, I'm good at this. Can I help you with that? You're good at this. Can you help me with that? And so doing that barter of skills or paying for things as I have a responsibility as I earn more money to give more money away. And so for me, I'm always, I love money. I just think of it as the more money you make, the more you can give away, right? So that's just my personal philosophy. So I feel like I have a responsibility to make money to help other people grow their businesses and their skill sets too. And so whether you like money or not, that's a very personal thing. But I've learned that I have a responsibility if I'm going to earn money that there are other people who need it more than me. So that is also something to think about as a leader is how are you using the resources and the gifts and the talents you've been blessed with so you can be a leader in your community, your church, your temple, your school, wherever it is. Um, And we have so many people on this podcast who are the C-suite, you know, and they have really worked hard to get to that level, but their responsibility is to help teach other people how to get there, just like you are with your podcast. And I think that's important and we have a responsibility to do that. So speaking of getting to that level of success, which takes an incredible amount of time and dedication, which these days, the time it takes is no longer just in a nine to five sense. It's no longer just at work. Um, 
we take work. I, very few people have the luxury of living work at work. I think that we all are connected in some way to the work that we're doing. Right. What does self-care look like for you in that uh, sense? You know, I wish I'd mastered this. I'm not the expert in this area, but I've learned that that over the years there's um there's like triggers or signals I get when I'm getting to a point of being burned out or being overtired. I've chosen a lifestyle, Robbie, that puts me in airports, hotels, and convention centers. It puts me in a place where I've learned to sleep really well on a plane or sleep in a bed that I'm not used to. But that's a choice I've made. It's a deliberate choice that I've decided to be a speaker who's on the road. And where the conference is held is where I go. So I don't have a very typical job, but I also don't commute. So I'm not sitting in a car like people are maybe listening to this and we make different choices. To me, self-care is about a couple of things. I schedule recovery time. So if I have four pretty intense days on the road, that fifth day will be a recovery day, meaning I'll be in my office or my, my team might have scheduled a massage or I might get to work out with my favorite trainer. But I've learned to schedule recovery. So one of the things I think leaders need to be responsible for is their recovery time. So I learned this in corporate. If I did a big, big project and I had a delivery, I would schedule the next day lightly. And I've done the same thing in my own practice. If I'm on the road for a very intense period of time, I have things to look forward to. So for me, it also means that there's daily maintenance that's required. I have to work out. I don't have the kind of body that just takes care of itself. I wish I did, but I'm getting too old for that. I know to your listeners, I sound like I'm five. I'm significantly older than that. And so with that lifestyle I've chosen, my energy has got to be on stage for that client, which means I have to eat more clean than potentially other people do. It means I have to sleep more deeply when I'm away. And it means I have to work out maybe harder in order to just manage the stress that I've chosen to put on my body. And so I'm not, I have not mastered self-care. I wish I had, but I do book in regularly for treatments, facials, massages, you know, even if it means I'm doing it at the airport, I'm making sure that I take care of this one body that I have. And I don't always do that well. And I love champagne and I wear stilettos and I do things that are not good for my body, but I also where possible, you know, I schedule my workouts in advance. I have accountability partners so that I have to show up or I have to report in on what I eat or what I do. So I think self-care looks really different to some people. But I also think that as leaders, people are watching you constantly. So you have a responsibility to role model self-care because if you're the last one in the office, everyone else feels like they have to stay there until you go home. But if you are the person who encourages people to take their lunch break away from their desk and to finish meetings on time and to not email them at night and to let them have time with their families on weekends, you are a role model as a leader. And so you're sending these signals to the team constantly. So I would hope that the way that I take care of myself, maybe other people go, well, if she can do it, maybe I can do it. Yeah. I didn't do it well, Robbie. But you know, I, do try it. I have to say, I've now interviewed dozens of people for this podcast. And I ask that kind of question. And everyone who has an answer that is something that they're working on. No one is an expert. I have to maybe look, I don't know, I'm not sure who that person would be, but I love that the intentionality, <laughs> the intentionality, uh, identifying accountability partners, pre-scheduling the, these things that they actually are in our lives and not just like happenstance. These are all really important things to take away. I actually do a little wrap up after each interview and I'll be sure to highlight some of this because I really want to make sure our listeners are are able to take these ideas and put them into practice right away into their own lives. I love that. So you have met, um, I don't know, a million people. <laughs> You've met so many people and you're really good at connecting people in person. And I'm sure they want to stay in touch. You've built up this network. How, how do you sustain that network? How do you sustain the different maybe concentric circles of that network? You know, your close connections and then the people that are just sort of following your work. What's what's your methodology? Is it purposeful? Is it happenstance? It's very purposeful. Yeah. No. Um. My life is very scheduled, Robbie. I live and die by my calendar, and my life is pretty much scheduled in fifteen-minute increments. And while that might sound scary to other people, it allows me to stay 
uh, at a pretty high performing level. But there's several things that I do. So I believe in making time in time. So what I mean by that is, for example, when I'm sitting at the gate waiting for the plane to take off, I will text people and say, I was thinking about you and it's just part of my routine. While I'm in the air, it's a great time to be able to drop some notes on social media. I do a social media drive by every morning. So when I make my coffee or have my smoothie, I will go across every single platform and I will do what I call a social media drive-by. I'll like, post, retweet, um, you know, make a note on, on LinkedIn, uh, comment on Instagram. And what I do is very quickly show people that I saw what they were doing and I liked it. So I do a social media drive-by every morning. That's part of my routine as well. I also have created an advocates list, meaning that I have 20 people that I reach out to every single month. And my advocates, I send them a book or an article or a gift, and I'm always looking for things that remind me of them. And so I have time scheduled in my calendar to reach out to my advocates. Now, advocates for me, there's people who are inside my industry and outside my practice, and others are people that I'd like to do business with at some point, but they advocate for me. And Robbie, I think it's important as leaders to schedule connection time. So if I go to an event, I schedule follow-up time in my calendar so I can send thank you notes. I write a handwritten note to people. When I get a business card, I send a handwritten note wherever possible. And I think that analog systems get attention in a digital world. You know, I, I actually, mean, I, I sent you a handwritten note and mm-hmm. you had told me to connect with you through Maria. But before Maria replied, you replied thanking me for the handwritten note. And so even though you had sort of said, here's the best way to reach me is going to be through this third party, the, the analog, as you say, yes, really helped get your attention. Get attention. Because no one does it, Robbie. That's the thing. We get about 200 emails a day, but when you get a thank you note, oh my gosh, that's what stands out. And I think we have to be clever about the way that we get the attention of our network because they're all crazy busy people. Now, my Maria is the key to my whole world. So if anyone wants on my calendar, literally my husband, if he wants to know where I am, he will. He, he can check with Maria. Like he, he, it's just, she's an integral part of my life. But in saying that, she's also uh, a fantastic gatekeeper as well. And so where everyone would love to have hours and hours of connection after, I have what we call a tally coffee. So a tally coffee is where you make a coffee and I make a coffee and we talk on the tally phone. It takes no more than 15 minutes and Maria schedules them. So if I say schedule a tally coffee with Maria, she knows what it means. They know what it means. It's a 15 minute commitment. And we all have 15 minutes for somebody. And I'm constantly being asked by people who are maybe new in their speaking profession or they're moving from corporate to entrepreneurial life. I want to help as many people as I can because everyone helps me. And I, you know, lots of people help me on my journey. And I think as leaders, we have a responsibility to help pull people along with us. But we also have to be protective of our time too. And so when it comes to sustaining a network, I'm very systemized. I carry stationery that has stamps on it everywhere I go. I Uh, I make sure that I reach out to my advocates every month. I text people whenever I can. Or it might be that I just am reading, like, uh, I take all my magazines. I'm still the old-fashioned love magazine girl, so I'll take all my magazines with me. And then I'll just tear out articles and send a note to someone. I give them to the flight crew. Every time I fly, I'll save up my girly magazines like O or Real Simple or, you know, Marie Claire. And I'll say to the crew, would you like some reading material? These are all just systems. And what I call it, I call it systemized thoughtfulness. And I believe we can truly systemize thoughtfulness. And that's about really paying attention to what matters. When you're, when you're getting ready to go to a big conference that you're attending, not just speaking at, is there something you're doing to prepare for that so that when you're oh, in the yeah. moment, you're like mm-hmm. present and you know what you want out of the experience? So let's take the National Speakers Association conference that you and I attend on an annual basis, Robbie. So for me, I will always look at the attendee list in advance. I'll see who do I know. So I'll start tweeting with them or reaching out on Facebook or dropping them an email. And then I'll start to have a look at maybe what they've been posting on Facebook. So um, secretly, I, I know a lot of people on Facebook, but I don't watch a lot of people on Facebook. So I probably only have about 12 people who come into my feed every day. And that's generally my family. And so for me to go and find out what's been going on in your life, I have to type in your name. And so I will do some research 
research and find out what some of the things that have been exciting for them recently so I have some talking points when I see them. I will also pre-schedule time. So there's certain people in my life who I only get to see once a year. Uh, Lou Heckler is my speech coach. So I always try and make sure I get a date on Lou's you know, incredible dance card because everybody wants to meet with Lou Heckler. Uh, recently, I knew that Simon Bailey, a dear friend of mine, was going to be at the same conference at me. So we had lunch before the conference even started. So I schedule connection points with people in advance. And that way, I know that I'm only get a few moments with them, but at least I know it's on the schedule. So that's another thing that I do in advance. And then I will also look at the session. And if there's a particular session I want to go to, I might reach out to a friend and say, I'm going to go to this session. Do you want to come with me? Because as you and I know, the National Speakers Association Conference is quite a love fest. And there's a thousand people, thousands of people there who all want your time and energy. And so it's about scheduling in advance. It's also about leveraging events that are already there. So the NSA uh, foundation event that happened, which is their fundraiser, I might buy a couple of tables and bring my friends and say, hey, let's meet at the foundation event. So there's different ways you can leverage conferences. Most conferences have pre-scheduled social activities. It's a great way for you to meet up with people. And if you've never met someone, you can say, are you going to be at this event? Let's meet there. But then I also think it's important to be spontaneous enough that if you're in the start of a great conversation that you have some space in your calendar to be able to continue that conversation. One of my favorite learnings have been in the hallway or by the pool or in the coffee shop or in the line waiting for the coffee. I also love uh, to work out and so sometimes I might meet someone for a run in the morning. It's very unglamorous but it's a way to get some time just with them if you can run and, and or walk at the same time and talk. So sometimes those early morning walks or runs can also be fun and they've been some of the best conversations I've had. That's all amazing tips. I think a lot of people barely get to the event. You know, like the logistics are enough of a challenge. They, they show up, but they're not really present. And so all this pre-planning that you're talking about helps you make the most of it. You're also probably more open to these sort of one-off conversations because you know you already scheduled meaningful time with the people that matter to you. And so you're not stressed out trying to find them trying to, you know, align your calendars in the moment. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's challenging. It's, it's very challenging. So having all that sort of set up in advance is, is really good. And I love the idea of saying, I'm going to go to this, this particular breakout session if you want to join me there. Because, um, you know, that commits you to going to it because I think it's also... <laughs> It's hard sometimes with so much going on, but like if you've already decided this is something you really don't want to give up, um, that's a really great way to, to have a shared experience. You'll have more to talk about afterwards. Yeah. It helps you reinforce the learnings. It's also worth reaching out to the speakers in advance too. So I always have a look at who's on the roster of the conference I'm attending. doesn't matter if it's NSA or another one that I'm speaking at or I'm attending. And so I will reach out to the speakers in advance as well. And so what I'll say is I'm really looking forward to seeing you. Thank you for serving this audience. Excited to hear what you have to share. So you start to build relationship with the speaker. It's also fun if you go to the same conference every year because of your industry, whether you were at SHRM because you're an HR professional or PCMA or MPI for a meeting planner or NSA if you are a speaker. I also have traditions with people. So one of my girlfriends and I always meet for lunch on the last day. We go and have makeup done and we play for a little bit together. And it's a tradition that we created. Um, at another conference, I know that there's a particular night of the conference which is unscheduled. So we have a standing date that we will always have dinner together. So when you go to regular conferences, you get a feel for their agenda. You can start to create traditions with people. Uh, at the big gala for NSA, there's the same group of us that tend to sit together for the big gala event, and it's just becoming more of a tradition. And over the last few years, that's been really fun. So I think it is about creating memories with people, but it's about doing the work in advance so you can be fully present in the moment. So we're getting to the end of our time together, and I have just a couple more questions. Um, one is, if you had a chance to talk to your, yourself when you were much younger uh, maybe when you're first starting out, uh, is there something you would have told yourself to do to really build a strong, supportive professional network, something that would have sort of accelerated your path? I would have said to my younger self, honor your uniqueness. 
because I do sound like I'm five. I'm four, ten and a half. I had roles that were way too big for me and I was way too young and stupid to know any different. And so I always had these big responsibilities and big jobs and high profile projects and teams. And so I think what I would have said to my younger Neen is really embrace how you are so different and make the most of that. Instead of trying to fit in or conform or comply, I am the most non-compliant person I know. And I'm always looking for a way to do it bigger, better, different, you know, anything but the way that people want me to do it, which sounds crazy coming from a productivity person. But I think that I would have said, do more of that right? And I think as young people, if you're listening to this, do more of what makes you unique because you will look back and realize what a value that was. And so while I think that as you grow in your career, I had particular industries you had to comply, banking and oil, there were certain regulations you had to comply with. Uh, So there are times in your career where you're learning protocol and hierarchy and business acumen and the unwritten rules of business that are out there. And then there's other times where you can really truly be who you want to be as an example of how you add value with the experiences you have. So I would say honor your uniqueness. That's great. I think that's something that everyone can take to heart. And I think particularly when people get to the C-level and they're, they're there, use the time then to like actually share more of their personality and bring more of themselves to the workspace because they'll actually be making room for their team to do the same thing. And when people can bring more of themselves into the space, the more productive, the more present, the more collaborative, you know, there's just a better outcome for all is rather than trying to get everyone to really like fit narrowly into a box. So I think too, Robbie, people have to realize once they get there, that they got there, which means cut people some slack who are still getting there. (laughs) So they need to be reminded about the lessons that they had along the way and also help people on their journey. It sounds like you are the person who helps them remember that. (laughs) You bet. (laughs) So if we were to meet a year from now, which I know that we will continue to cross paths, what is the exciting new thing that you accomplished in the year prior? Like what, what will we be celebrating that has we'll happened? We'll be celebrating that I've created an attention movement. I really want the world to start paying attention. And I believe that that is going to change because of the book that I'm publishing this year, because of the programs that we're offering our clients and because my clients are really paying attention to the work that we're doing and they're implementing the things that we talk about. So I will be excited to talk to you a year from now when we have this attention movement and the way that that has taken off. So how can people find you and follow your work? NeanJames.com is the easiest. If you find me, if you Google Neen James, there is only one. So that's who I am on Twitter. That is who I am on LinkedIn and all of the social media platforms. I'd love to stay connected with your listeners in that way. Well, that's fantastic. I will add all that to the show notes. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Really appreciate it. It was a privilege. Thank you for the work you do in the world, Robbie. I hope you enjoy that interview with Neen James. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One of the things stood out for me was the idea that productivity came easily to Neen and she therefore thought it was something that came easy to others as well. That's clearly not the case. Is there something that comes to you easily that others would pay to have you teach them or to do it for them? For instance, I'm about to launch a pilot virtual group coaching program this fall, and while I have many skills, I have never launched an online course. So I'm working with people who have and who can show me the way. So this lesson is twofold. Find the ways you can offer value by sharing your natural skills, and also don't spend another second doing the things that you struggle with or just don't enjoy. Find a way to barter with someone else who would benefit from your skills, and you'll both have a happier life and be more productive working on the tasks you really enjoy and are good at. I also appreciated Neen sharing the intentionality she has around staying in touch with people and taking care of herself. A lot of it came down to planning ahead and being prepared. For instance, she carries with her note cards with stamps on them and uses downtime while on her commute to text people to say hello. She also schedules in time to work out and meet up with friends. She has an accountability partner to help her stay on track because she knows that she is her business. So if she's not in her best shape, she can't serve her clients. No matter what you do for work, your number one client has to be you. You need to build in time for self-care so you can bring your A game when you need to. 
I also really love that Neen says her advice to her younger self would have been to honor your uniqueness. Most of us have had the experience of feeling like the only odd one out in the room and feeling less secure because of it. Neen has chosen to embrace what makes her different and is proudly not conforming to preconceived notions of who she should be and how she should act. There's a lot of strength from accepting yourself and it takes away the power others have over you and your self-esteem. Your homework this week, practice honoring your uniqueness and pass that message along to someone who needs to hear it. Is networking important but your least favorite part of your job? My coaching clients felt the same way. Through a combination of technical tips, accountability, and a bit of inspiration, I help leaders stop wasting time networking and start building great relationships. As I mentioned, this fall, I'm launching a pilot group coaching program. Now, this is a virtual program, so if it sounds like something you'd want to be a part of, we should set up a time to chat and see if it would be a good fit for you. You can email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. That's R-O-B-B-I-E at R-O-B-B-I-E-S-A-M-U-E-L-S.com. I'll have more information and a whole website page about this up soon. But until then, send me an email and we'll set up a time to chat. Now, do you host a conference or a convention and want your attendees to feel like your event was incredibly valuable because of the connections that they made? I work with associations and companies to design events that increase engagement and create a welcoming culture for all attendees, especially your first-time attendees. Now, if you know someone who might be interested in this kind of service, I would really welcome the introduction. And now, as a busy solopreneur, you've heard me talk about being home with a toddler and a baby on the way. I'm often juggling a lot of responsibilities. So to keep track of everything and everybody, I use Contactually, a robust CRM that's perfect for managing my professional network. I use it to help me manage my most important relationships and, importantly, the ones I hope will become significant. As an affiliate for Contactually, they're offering my listeners a free trial. You can let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit RobbieSamuels.com slash Contactually for more details. That's Contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y. For your convenience, I'll have the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Just look for episode 56. And just a reminder, my best-selling book is available at robbysamuels.com slash bookstore. Here's part of a review the book received on Amazon. Croissants versus Bagels has something for everyone, for those new to networking and those that are more experienced. What the author shares is so much more than a how-to book on networking. It shares invaluable life lessons on how to create more authentic connections with others, both within the stated framework and in everyday life. It's well-written, easy to read, outlining how to give and receive the most value in networking opportunities. This is a book about empowerment for both the reader and the potential impact in a larger community. Wow, that review really blew me away. And it's actually only part of the review. It's much longer than that. So go check out all the great things people are saying about this book and the way it's impacted their lives. It's been really overwhelming for me to see that. And I love it. I love being able to reach people and support them and helping them grow their own professional networks and achieving the dreams they have. Now, if you like business podcasts, you should definitely check out other ones. C-Suite Radio is a wonderful resource for that. You'll find them at c sweetradiocom You'll also find On the Schmooze there in good company with other C-Suite Radio headliners. Now, before I go, I want to sincerely thank everyone who helped me get this podcast launched and who've subscribed and left a rating review on iTunes. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. You'll get a reminder every week. Uh, I come out every Tuesday morning with a new show. You can subscribe and leave an honest rating review uh, at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.